We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game betting odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Our biggest takeaways... From Sunday of week nine, that's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find me on Twitter at Yards Per Gretsch. Find my Stealing Signal Substack at bengretsch.substack.com. And with me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find his Zero RB Watch at Rotoviz and everything else over at Rotoviz. Sean, it was kind of a boring day. We got some upsets, if, if those are exciting. Everything was more or less low scoring, though. So even some of the upsets were just... Very boring. Jacksonville beats Buffalo nine to six. Um, one of the most absurd score lines that I can ever remember. You know, we get Jordan Love's first start, and Kansas City wins that 13-7. Just a bunch of very boring games. How are you feeling about week nine? Well, I mean, you would like to see more fantasy points. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but it, uh, there were some fun things, some interesting things. I, I think you've got to look give a lot of credit to some of these teams that were definitely not favored to win. They came out and played hard. I, I mean, the Jaguars performance is astonishing because they have so many things going on with this team. And it was to the point where when Trevor Lawrence goes out for a little bit at the end of the first half, you're almost like, and then, you know, he hustles back in, he wants to get back in the game. You're almost just like, stay on the sideline for a few plays. Let's see this horrible QB who I, I mean we root for the backup it's not horrible QB but let's see anybody else throw passes to the Jaguars receivers and see if it does anything yeah I mean look at the Jets the last few weeks right anyone who's throwing that's not Zach Wilson has looked a lot different the offenses looked a lot different it was cool it was cool I, we we made some jokes about some of the uh, Jets and Colts in the show that we recorded Thursday morning that goes out Fridays and so you know some of those things seem a little bit odd uh, kind of in retrospect, we were definitely joking about Elijah Moore and Jonathan Taylor, and they both go on to huge games. So, oh, I think we also Pittman a little bit, and then he had a 
There was something that something else that popped that night to me that I, I don't know. I can't recall now, but that we had talked about that I wanted to circle back on our Sunday show, but I can't remember it. So who knows? <laughs> but it was it was cool to see Josh Johnson come out there and play so well, and play so hard and be so frustrated about how the very end of it occurred. You love to see those guys go in and really sort of compete for their NFL life. It, it it just was one of these situations where you read some of the stuff that Geno Smith has said after his performances the last several weeks where he feels like he is a legit NFL starter and, you know, with some more time with the first team and all that thing could get in there. I mean, there are some backup QBs lurking where if they were ever to get like a second stretch, I mean, some of these guys flame out originally, but then they get a bunch of experience. They do have the physical tools. You know, if they were to have another, not like one or two games, but to have another like eight game stretch where they got to practice with the first team offense and get that rapport with the players. And one of the things that we see is that it is difficult to go out there if you haven't practiced with the receivers and throw all these back shoulder throws, all of these timing routes that the starter can throw because I mean, you, you develop that second sense with these players and there's, you know, obviously the timing and the practice, all those things, the reps matter, but when the backups do come in and play well in spurts, it, it's fun. Uh, it just is a good story there. Anyway, I mean, Trevor Lawrence goes back in this game, continues to play poorly. You know, Marvin Jones was open on a play that might have finished the game off a little bit before it actually got finished off. He misses in there. You know, uh, another game where no one from Jacksonville was was startable in fantasy, and yet they win. Then they defeat a team that was number one in scoring, number one in points allowed. Really, the, the Bills looked like the best team in football. And then what kind of transpires throughout this game is that we continue to get sort of this dynamic where the Bills seem to be losing their identity a little bit or morphing into a team to where the identity doesn't work as well as maybe it has in the past. And that was really a big contrast to the Broncos. You and I have talked about it a little bit. Colm and I talked a lot on OT last week about how the Broncos don't have an identity. Now, you know, you have one game where you play well, you blow out a team that really people thought was pretty good and was a heavy favorite. And it's easy to say, oh, well, everything's going right now. They, they figured out what they need to do. I mean, the number one thing probably is just that they won. But when you watch the Bills and they devolve into a team that is Josh Allen sort of frantically scrambling. I mean, a lot of these scrambles today are not plays where he had an opportunity to really run and get those chunk plays and, and move the offense. They were situations where he didn't feel comfortable throwing to his guys, right? And in some of these situations, there were checkdowns available. He doesn't necessarily take those. But the big thing is that if this offense becomes Cole Beasley two yards across the line of scrimmage instead of Stephon Diggs all over the field, it's not going to work. And it really wasn't until they employed Diggs, and again, at all depths, on a variety of routes, sort of late in the second half, that the offense – looked even remotely like itself and then there wasn't enough of that and enough time left to get this win to i mean if you're the bills you have to win this game yeah i mean an egregiously embarrassing loss really i mean the 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 jaguars just got absolutely destroyed by the geno smith led seahawks one week ago coming out of the bye that was on the road all the way across the country and they returned home here but i think that's about the only excuse that i can make we talked at some point last week about Diggs having some of these games where early in the year, I was still pretty confident, pretty excited because he was seeing plenty of volume. There were just a few missed opportunities. There have been some recent, and I talked recently about how, you know, his one touchdown game 
a couple of weeks ago now that could have easily been a three-touchdown game with a couple of better passes at times, one down in the red zone, one on a deep shot that became a DPI because it was so underthrown. But Diggs had plenty of room for a long touchdown on that play. You know, I was kind of chalking that up to a bigger game than what we actually had because it was all there, even though we don't get it in our, you know, in our fantasy lineup for that week. It's like, okay, this is something we can build on for sure. There, there's the the early part of the year, especially, we had still plenty of volume for Diggs this year. And then at some point we talked in the last couple of weeks or last week about you know, late last year, one of the reasons I was really excited about Diggs early on, he had a six target game in week three last year. He had a seven target game in week four. Those are his two lowest target numbers of the whole year. By week five, you know, he started to kind of gel into this new offense. He has an eight target game. That's a 16 target game. He has an eight target game in week six. From week seven on, he doesn't have another game under nine targets all year other than week 17, which was a blowout win that uh, his snaps were way down. He played fewer than 50% of the snaps because it was week 17. He go through the three playoff games against tougher teams, playoff teams. He gets nine targets, 11 targets, 11 targets. His production was just fantastic after he sort of assimilated into the offense. You know, you could certainly see things tick up after that first month or so when he's in a, on a new team. And so my whole thesis this year, right, was he's he's locked in now. He is the alpha. They figured out that they need to throw to him at all depths, like you said, that they need to throw to him in all crucial spots. One of the big things that they did a, very well down the stretch last year was on third downs. Allen is so good at extending plays. Diggs is such a good route runner. It seemed like he was the best third down receiver in the league. I mean, he led the NFL in catches. I don't have the stats, but I'm sure he was right up there in third down, first down receptions, you know, first down gains, conversions, third down conversions from, a, from the receiver perspective. He probably, I would guess, led the league last year. Now we have this year, you know, he has an eight-target game right away in week two. But these last three weeks heading into this Jacksonville game, he had a five-target game. He had a seven-target game. These are weird compared to what he was last year. He was so consistently nine-plus targets, eight-plus targets, uh, especially after that first month. But even that uh, only included a couple of games where there was a six and a seven. And his targets have been down a little bit. And then this game, we get another game where he finishes with eight targets on 47 passes. 45 targeted passes. He gets eight targets. You got Beasley with 11 targets that turn into 33 yards to your point. And he has eight catches, three yards a target. Uh, you have Devin Singletary seeing the same number of targets as Diggs at eight. You have Emmanuel Sanders also seeing eight. You have, you know, Gabe Davis and Isaiah McKenzie and Tommy Sweeney combining for six and Zach Moss getting four. So the running backs combined for, for 12. Moss leaves this game early. The games where Allen was throwing 47 passes last year, Diggs was seeing 12 plus targets like almost every time like clockwork and week one this year he saw 13 and then he's had a couple more at 10 and 11 but like the target share that was really great over the first month has actually been pretty poor over the last month and I, I i don't know i'm having a hard time explaining where we are and why we're here their offense doesn't look as good when they're not treating stefan diggs like an alpha receiver i thought that that was sort of uh understood and 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 known and they recognized that last year it was great even into the postseason it was a huge part of everything they were doing they bring in emmanuel sanders and they're throwing him air yards constantly he's 35 or something like that he's made some nice plays this year certainly there's more defensive attention on Diggs, just helping it's probably another huge reason so much is going to beasley underneath is a defensive attention on Diggs, and and on sanders now as well probably as kind of more the downfield threats same probably 
issue. I, I haven't, you know, I'm not a huge film defensive, you know, uh, scheme analyzer. Uh, but we know with the Chiefs, there's just constant discussion about the two deep shells they're seeing and taking away the deep shots. You, you see a game like this where Beasley has 11 targets and the running backs have 12. And, you know, you assume basically that's what the Bills were facing as well. A lot of I, I wasn't watching closely enough to really speak to that, but it just is frustrating. Dix can still win underneath very easily. And uh, it's it's really kind of hard to explain. I Targets are earned. So, I mean, I, I'm, I certainly believe that. I, I think some element of this has to go on to Diggs. He doesn't really necessarily look as sharp this year, I would say, as he did last year. But at the same time, like, I don't know. There's been a lot of missed opportunities to this point. And I, I, it just – it seems like offensively they're trying really hard to spread the ball around away from him in some respects, especially with the stuff that's going to, like, Sanders and, and, and Beasley and stuff. And I, I don't know. I just can't really explain it. I don't know why they don't treat him like Devontae Adams, which they did last year. Yeah, I mean, you have some of these teams who want to take what the defense gives them, especially if they have confidence in the rest of their players. Cole Beasley has been a solid underneath receiver this year. Emmanuel Sanders has given them that third presence, although it was not a good game today for Gabriel Davis, right, when he was out there and was targeted. But last year, he was more explosive than what Emmanuel Sanders has given him this year. So it seems like overthinking it a little bit to try and push that element on. But one of the things that you mentioned, one of the things that was sort of a key offseason theme for us in terms of both how Diggs emerged and the types of receivers we're looking for, those routes all over the field. Well, Diggs isn't suddenly losing a specific type of route, which was the element that we saw that was so <laughs> confusing with how they would treat him in Minnesota. But he's lost some out of every category. And to a certain extent, I think that that can be encouraging because you're like, they just need to target him a little bit more. I mean, he's doing the same types of things, but they do need to do that. And again, it wasn't until they started to emphasize him that the offense worked at all. I think that sometimes if you're having some success, you can get caught up in this idea of, okay, well, we're going to make everybody a part of what we're doing. We're still spending yeah. a lot of points. If people want to take digs away and we're leading the NFL in scoring, who cares? Right. But you know, then you go and you play the Jaguars and lose. And it's like, oh, well, we should care because Stefan Diggs is our superstar. And, you know, that's how you're going to win games. But 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 Sean, the, the, what's so weird about this is, I mean, like I, I thought this was the explosion spot for Diggs because we already saw this the last couple of games where they've struggled a little bit. They lose to the Titans uh, in a game where he isn't necessarily targeted. Uh, I'm going to pull it up again. I just had it up. But. Uh, he, he, I don't think he was targeted very heavily in that game. Or no, he did have 11 targets in that game. That's a lie. But they they didn't look as necessarily as great as they could have at times over the last month when they weren't necessarily targeting him a ton. I guess the, the Buffalo-Kansas City game, the, the, excuse me, the, you know, they, they're Buffalo. The game in Kansas City where he only saw five targets, can't really criticize that. Uh, Allen absolutely shredded the Chiefs downfield in that game to everybody. But I mean, yeah, like you were saying, like I feel like there's this pressure, or they're putting some pressure on themselves almost to evolve, to to uh, not be predictable and things. And you know, the team we, we know teams do that, and they they want to, you know, not have one thing they're relying on because then the defense can focus on taking that one thing away, and then and then what, right? Uh, but at the same time, like it's it is it's it's just very hard to like to understand to explain right now. Because, I mean, these, these secondary guys, though, I mean, they're very much secondary guys. I mean, you are not going to thrive if you're emphasizing Cole Beasley. You're not going to thrive if you're emphasizing Emmanuel Sanders, where he is now in his career. 
And, uh, you know, for all of the good things that their running backs do from time to time, their offensive line is a poor run blocking team. And so you're not going to create all of these openings where the running backs can do what we saw from the Cleveland Browns today. So let's transition to that game. That one also not necessarily good for us from the Bengals perspective, but then I mean, we need to give some praise to Kevin Stefanski and the Cleveland Browns. This is not a great game for Odell Beckham if he's hoping to end up with a contender after all this stuff falls out. I mean, it's going to work out fine for him, I'm sure, one way or another. But you know, you see some of the splits in terms of their win-loss. You see some of the splits in terms of you know scoring, that kind of thing, with and without Beckham. They say, look, we don't need this distraction. We don't need someone who you know won't always run his routes properly and then is trying to undermine our QB. I mean, our QB is not a superstar win the Super Bowl by himself QB, which even more in that case, you need him not to be undermined by your key players. They get rid of Odell Beckham. They go out there and just annihilate the Cincinnati Bengals today. And this was a situation where a couple weeks ago we were talking about them having you know, move to the darkest timeline. And then again, this I think is a great example of leadership from the coach and just all across the team that they've bounced back now. And somehow, despite these injuries that they've had, despite moving on from one of the players who, you know, probably isn't anymore in terms of Beckham, but once was one of the most talented players in the entire NFL. And I mean, they created big plays all across the board today in so many different ways. I mean, the, the game obviously turns right there at the beginning when Denzel Ward picks off the pass for Jamar Chase, returns at 99 yards for a touchdown. They also have this play where the Bengals go for it on fourth down, and then immediately Donovan Peoples-Jones scores a long touchdown. And so that contrast there between you know these empty plays to Beckham and then getting Peoples-Jones out there, getting this long touchdown, You know they have a 70-yard uh, Nick Chubb run later in the game. It's a Baker Mayfield team, but they have some avenues for explosiveness when, at least when they play this game against the Cincinnati Bengals, they look fantastic today. You know, if you're a Cleveland fan, you've just got to be really excited and, you know, turned up quite a few fantasy points across the board here, especially for Nick Chubb, who did his best sort of Jonathan Taylor impression. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some people will maybe balk at that because Chubb has definitely done this before, but I, I like framing it that way. But yeah, Taylor and Chubb are kind of two peas in a pod right now or, or in, in the way that w- what they're able to do as runners. Yeah, no, watching this game to me, the biggest thing that I saw from the Bengals is that their offense looks so much like what was successful down the stretch in 2020. One of the things we talked about coming into 2021 was late in 2020, the Browns were a little bit more pass first at times. And there was some potential maybe for the Browns to throw a little more than we were expecting and some positive things to happen. Now, they only end up with 21 pass attempts in this game because they absolutely destroy the Bengals. But even coming out of the halftime, they're up 24 to 10, and they're throwing on first down multiple times on that first drive in the second half. Uh, made a little note about that. It was interesting to see that. You know, I haven't like, – I, I, their offense didn't look entirely different than they've looked the rest of this year. But there's little elements of it that were very reminiscent of last year. The Donovan Peoples-Jones long touchdown. I mean, he's had uh, his last game out in, in week six. He had a couple of touchdowns. But one of the – oh, no, that that was the game where he had a short TD and he also had a Hail Mary touchdown. This was this TD this week was the first one that looked like everything he did last year, which last year he only had 20 targets, but he had 304 receiving yards. He had over 15 yards per target, a pair of touchdowns. 
a, a couple other long completions or long, you know, drawn pass, uh, pass inter- defensive pass interferences, things like that. They basically used him as a situational shot player in 2020. And that long touchdown, I think, was very reminiscent of that. It was sort of play action, go deep. Um, actually, I don't remember if this play here this week was play action. Kind of assume it was and sort of how I'm remembering it, but I, I don't I don't have that for, for sure. But I know uh, a lot of his big plays last year were off of play action. Early this year, especially in weeks one and two, when Beckham was out, they used Anthony Schwartz kind of in that role. They had Peoples-Jones in a more underneath role. It's sort of splitting hairs, but just that play to me was sort of very reminiscent of their 2020 offense. The, the other part of it that was very reminiscent, spread the ball around to a ton of targets, right? So you had all three of the tight ends getting multiple targets, even in a game where there was only 21 passes. You had Landry getting five to lead the team. Um, you had Chubb getting a pair. You had Donovan Peoples-Jones getting three. Eight, peop- eight players get a target on just 21 pass attempts. I mean, that's 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 what they've looked like this year as well. But there have been games where there's been so much volume going to Odell Beckham. And part of that is, look, like I, I can't really explain what – it's another one where I'm like I'm, I'm stumped. But uh, Baker and, and Odell, it's hard to explain why they don't fit. We, we talked a little last week about um, that theory that, that Stephen Ruiz wrote about at the ringer about sort of the area where Odell is running his routes. But Odell – certainly has gotten open at times this year. He could go on to be successful on other teams. But at the same time, to your point, um, for the Browns, it's very clearly addition by subtraction for whatever reason. It it is very clearly a better situation for their passing game when Odell's not there. The on-off splits over the last, you know, since he became a Brown, when he's been healthy and when he's been unhealthy, for Baker especially, have been massive. I mean, Baker's been way better when he hasn't necessarily had to feel like he has to find this, uh, you know, number one receiver. And maybe it's just some weird thing where because Beckham's getting open, he feels the need to make that pass when he wants to take another pass or something. I don't know, but it is something that is very bizarre and hard to explain. The net result though, is when he's not there, Baker's do, you know, spreading the ball all over. They're setting up these shot plays, uh, which they've done. Certainly they did last year and, and they've done in the past. And, and this one hits for Donovan Peoples Jones. They're using the run game as a huge part of their offense and Nick Chubb, you know, running for a 70-yard TD helps everything that you're doing and, and averaging 9.8 yards per carry today helps everything that you're doing. But at the same time, like, it, yeah, I mean, I I would say that I'm now a lot more interested in the Browns' offense over the next several weeks because it looked so much like late last year when they were a pretty efficient offense for a stretch. It'll be interesting to see how that evolves for some of the key guys in fantasy you mentioned the number of targets that Jarvis Landry had today they did scheme a few things for him inside the 10 that didn't work out so you know there is some potential for uh, you know more than what he got today but I expect them to be so good in some of the things you're talking about with the running backs and with the play action that I don't know if I mean he's not going to ever be the guy that he was with the Miami Dolphins when he was uncoverable and young right I mean he uncoverable in that up to 10 yard range. Some people would probably resist the idea of uncoverable when all those targets are right across the line of scrimmage, but that can help you, you know, if you're converting first downs on those plays, he's not going to need to be that kind of guy in this offense. It doesn't fit what they want to do either, but uh, generally speaking, we're going to see some plays for people's Jones. We're going to see some plays for Anthony Schwartz. You mentioned the tight ends. I think that this gets spread in the passing game in a way that really none of the players are that playable. I think if you have, Nick Chubb. I mean, there have been some good things, some bad things. His advanced numbers, you go check out the advanced stats tool, you'll just, you know, be blown away at some of the things that he's doing before contact, after contact, you know, breaking tackles. 
the thing that I would talk about with breaking tackles is that you've got to be able to then gain yards after you do it. And we saw again today with Chubb and not even necessarily the broken tackle element on that, but that, I mean, he's got that gear and he gets to it fast for a guy, his size, the time it takes him to get to top speed is so limited. And that's one of the things that we also saw obviously from Taylor on Thursday night where that hole is there and he's gone. And people are like, you know, you're not going to be able to do the same things you were able to do in college at the NFL level. And no, you're not going to have those plays every game, but that ability to get to the second level and be gone. There aren't that many people who have that, the running backs who do, you know, their fantasy points over expectation are going to be very, very good. Then we've got a couple other teams that play weird games today, interesting games today. The Ravens come back. We continue to see both them fight from behind on the other hand, we continue to see the Vikings blow leads. Also, this Denver Broncos team, I think, may be the most interesting of the week. We'll get into these right after the break. NFL football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find NFL tickets anymore. Because TechPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. One of my bucket list items is certainly to head on over and see my Green Bay Packers over in Green Bay at Lambeau Field. I'm super excited to see how this season plays out for the Packers. Whether it's the Packers or any other team that you want to head and get in on the action this season and attend a game. Whether it's a home game for your favourite team or it's on the road, TickPick has you covered. Visit TickPick.com slash RotoViz to save 10% on your first order. So if you're thinking of going to a game this season, don't wait. Head on over, get those tickets. That is techpick.com slash rotoviz. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Then the Cowboys today come into this game with a rising defense with Dak Prescott back after Cooper Rush uh, won the game for them at the end last week. There was some concern about C.D. Lamb and the ankle coming into the game. And then his numbers today were terrible. They appeared to not be using him too much early. Amari Cooper with a lot of targets, some of the empty targets early in the game. But then in the third quarter there, when the Cowboys were going to make their push, if they did, I mean, Lamb was the guy they needed. He was the guy that was getting open. A couple of different points in this game, he had some chances. Uh, They had Lamb for a 55-yard touchdown that was overthrown by Dak Prescott. That came one play after Tony Pollard had a bad drop. Pollard, disastrously bad in this game, both from a reality and from a fantasy perspective. They also missed Liam wide open, sort of in a scramble situation on a fourth down late in the game. So there were some opportunities here where Lamb actually looked fine. Now, he probably wasn't 100%, but he beat his guys badly on a couple of occasions, and Prescott just missed him, which, I mean, Dak Prescott is a good quarterback. It's not like we look at this game and, and you know our sense of what Dak Prescott and the Cowboys can do completely changes, but it was a hot game, just like the situation with, with the Bills where you know, sort of dumbfounding. And, you know, Ezekiel Elliott, not 100%. He had some injuries he played through in this game. They tried to keep going to him. You know, he seems more of a guy who is the focal point in some of these games where they're not dominating. He's a guy who seems like the focal point because of the contract as opposed to the talent at this point. Amari Cooper, a pretty clear-cut number two receiver. You and I were sort of hoping that we would get some Michael Gallup action today that didn't happen he's going to have to wait for another week what are your thoughts on this dallas offense now we know that the denver broncos have a solid defense can be very good at times they maybe weren't expected to come out and put such a blow on the cowboys right after trading von miller yeah i mean this was a very surprising game the cowboys were shut out until the fourth quarter they turned the ball over on downs on each of their first two drives again on their first drive of the second half they were over their first four fourth down attempts. Yeah, so they they were struggling on on uh, on fourth downs, and and there were spots where they should be going, and it was just, I mean, that was tough. That put them in a in a in a bind early, not you know finishing off these drives. Not, I mean, I I wouldn't have been settling for field goals in these spots, but certainly it, it probably would have been. I mean, at least you can make some kind of an argument, probably that there's some moral advantage to uh to just getting some points on the board or something like that but no i mean i have in my notes the same that you said lamb one of the key players for me this week that could have had a monster game and and didn't i had both of those plays in in my notes that you described uh basically you know twice lamb is behind the defense um the second one was on fourth down like you said and and he gets behind this guy and both times dak sort of sales that the first one is a clear TD. The second one, I think he had a shot to go the entire distance. Lamb also had a 25-ish, I wrote, yard catch that was wiped away by holding. 
So you had several plays there. And another player, I mean, I think you you put all that well. And I don't have like great analysis on that, but another player who that reminds me of today is Jamar Chase, who we talk a lot about on the show. And, and we were just talking about the Cleveland side of that game before the break. But Chase had an end zone target go through his hands that he probably should have caught. He also had uh, a couple of other missed opportunities that were you know, sort of near misses um, one right off the fingertips late. That could have been a really big play defenders kind of on his hip. So he probably gets tackled. That's maybe a 40 or 50 yard gain as opposed to like a long touchdown, but it was like a 40 or 50 yard air yard pass. And it goes right off his fingertips. I mean, it's a few inches further than he can get to it. And then right. Not long after that, he had about a 30 yard catch. They got called back by holding for himself as well. So if you had lamb and chase, you lost, multiple ways today on, on missed potential long touchdowns as well as um completed catches that were called back because of holdings it was a it was a rough day for some some of the the key guys from that respect uh, not exactly a drop but t higgins has a pass that was thrown i think in the only place where he comes down with it and not the defense he pulls it in originally it goes through his fingers in the end as he tries to bring it into his body that was the fourth down late in the game that you're talking about I, have, <laughs> I switched away from that one. They're getting blown out. No, they. I mean, he has the touchdown early on that also changes the game. And so, yeah, so you're mentioning a second one. <laughs> there was a fourth down late when they were getting blown out that was, uh, you know, Burrow kind of heaved it up. It's it, it was a tough play. The defender was right there. But it was uh, similar to what you were describing where it seemed like it was in the only position where, you know, in a position where really only he could have caught it and it seemed like he had a, a good opportunity to catch it potentially, but was un, unable to. I don't know that I, the, the Burrow looked that bad in this game to me most of the time. They did have sort of a relapse of some of those offensive line issues where a lot of the times that the drives broke down, they broke down because of defensive pressure very, very early. I also have in the notes, I, I was very impressed with the Cleveland defensive backs. There were a number of times early in the game where Chase was the target and had the ball just simply knocked away because the defender was there and it, these are one-on-one -on -one coverage i think that it was three different guys uh but again just across the board you know when you have jamar chase one-on-one -on -one and the pass goes there and you manage to get the deflection without a pass interference and these were clean plays so much of the time when you do see these passes defensed it's like you know this is a 50 50 that official could have thrown the flag if they wanted to the guy's holding him from the back he's holding from the side you know you got the arm in there these were just beautiful plays by the cleveland defense so yeah some some points left on the board one of the interesting notes i thought in bjorn yang varnett's wide receiver article on rotavez last week and, and he's been doing a fantastic job of breaking down all of the advanced stats on the site was that teddy bridgewater in the last couple of weeks after he had the injury at the end of week six has been limited to just dumping the ball down after he had been actually very aggressive early in the season, which was a contrast to some of the things he did last year with the Carolina Panthers. The other thing that we mentioned on OT is that Tim Patrick was actually the leader in routes for this team last week. Now that doesn't mean, I mean, they, they were all very close. One of the things that was a little bit disappointing is just how split this is. If you have Portland Sutton, if you have Jerry Judy, all of these Tim Patrick points are, are not doing you any good. At the same time, Bridgewater looked healthier today. The early 50-plus yard touchdown to Patrick was a fantastic pass. It was a great job by Patrick hauling that in. He was a real star for the Broncos today, which 
again, <laughs> probably doesn't go into too many fantasy lineups. It is a little bit of a problem. Cortland Sutton now, since Judy has returned, you wouldn't really think that Patrick would, would be the person emerging as Judy comes back. Judy's presence has appeared to really limit Sutton, who up to that point was having just a fantastic season, both in terms of his actual numbers and his peripherals. The other big kind of player today, and it's interesting because have uh, Daryl Henderson in some dynasty leagues where obviously his value this year to competing teams is very, very high. We built some teams for 2022, some trade offers going out there with Henderson. One of the offers out this week was for Henderson uh, and Javante Williams plus coming back and the uh, response was you know, very much that Williams was not going anywhere, even for this team that you know could potentially win the title this season. Williams in this timeshare with Gordon, where Gordon has gotten more of the touchdowns, has ended up with the high value points. You know, you could see someone wanting to move off of him. It, you actually have to hope that any Williams manager that you're discussing trades with is you know doesn't have access to actual Broncos games. Because if they do, then I mean Williams isn't going anywhere. He had one of the all-time great sort of non-touchdown runs today where he ends up sort of carrying defenders for 15 yards and you know has some offensive line help in there where his guys are giving him a little extra push but then breaks free from that group and takes it for another you know 15 to 20 yards you can see the tackle breaking you can see the speed you can see the one step the full speed quickness you know you can see the cutting ability Despite some of the things that we've gotten from Najee Harris, and you and I talked on the show last week about Harris being the number one for the rest of 2021, and we're recording this uh, before, obviously, he plays this week, it'll be interesting to see kind of how that plays out. But Williams probably still the number one back from this class in Dynasty. He looks that good. And regardless of who the quarterback is for the Broncos next season, and it seems like there's at least a possibility that quarterback, you know, would be an Aaron Rodgers. Um, Javante Williams is going to have a fantastic career and the gap between, you know, we talked about this on, on the show in terms of where these guys should be for next season, how it's going to affect their dynasty. But the element here where even this couple year difference in age and how these guys move to the next couple of years and that age gap there and what you can get in trades, all of that kind of thing. I mean, if you have Williams in redraft, you're looking at these games and you're trying to figure out how he's not scoring. Now, he got stopped at the one a couple of times again today. He's had that problem throughout the season. That's fluky, right? A guy who's doing what he's doing in the entire rest of the field is going to score some touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, I think you put that very well. Um, I was just going to throw in there, you kind of hit on it, but your note that he should be the, the dynasty or, or the top running back for Dynasty from this class probably takes some people uh, a little bit by surprise, but Williams is 21 until next April. We talk about the 21-year-old rookies and how things tend to evolve positively for them. Harris is 23, will turn 24 in March, so a month before Williams will, will turn 22. That's not the end-all, be-all, but it is a significant consideration at the running back position, certainly. Uh, you started that uh, little conversation with about the Broncos talking a little bit more about Tim Patrick. I, you know, that long TD was very impressive. He's not typically a big downfield player. It was a really nice thrown, uh, very well thrown ball by, uh, by Bridgewater. 
uh, um, and then a nice job by Patrick to kind of create some late separation. They're debating on the broadcast whether he sort of pushed off, kind of used his elbow more than extending his arm. Really, you know, sort of savvy play. Makes a nice play to, to score this long touchdown. At the same time, very, very, you know, good line for him. Four catches, 85 yards and a TD. Only did have five targets. My thing with Patrick has always been that um, you go back and look at things like targets per outrun. He's never at any point really shown true upside in a stat like that. Uh, and I will note that Judy this week comes back. Uh, you know, last week he was only he only he was certainly third on the team in, in routes his first game back at 77%. I took that as a positive look at his first game back. A lot of times guys will only run 50%, 60% routes their first game back. He's up over 75%. I haven't seen the numbers for for this game, but I bet he was up over 80%, especially because Patrick had some cramping issues. But wherever he landed, he winds up leading the team very comfortably by three targets over everyone else. With eight targets, he catches six for 69, getting a lot of short stuff, some bubble screens, some quick hitters. So I would say, as far as Patrick relates to Judy and Sutton, I'm not particularly concerned about Patrick. Uh, you, you mentioned sort of it's not great, obviously, to see him get the production and when he has a long touchdown or things like that. Uh, but he's kind of a guy that's going to get you five, six targets and typically not much more. Judy's the one who has the real target dominant uh, profile. And we saw it in week one with a really high targets per out run right before he, you know, he, he goes down really early in that game, but he sees a ton of targets just to start that game. And that's in sort of the short and intermediate range for Judy. Some, you know, some downfield stuff as well. He was getting a lot of air yards last year, especially Sutton is the one who's been very dominant down the field though, as well. He did not do much today, only two targets, but we have seen him be, uh, heavily targeted, high air yards, all of that. You mentioned maybe Teddy Bridgewater's injury impacting that. I do think going forward, we're going to see one of either Judy or Sutton or both of them in, in some type of tandem being the ones that are really sort of elevating and, and separating in the passing game, potentially with also Noah Fant. I, I, it's not great in a passing game that only throws 28 passes in this game and frequently only throws maybe 30 or 32 passes that you have Patrick and they're taking five of those targets, but I don't think of him as a significant hindrance to um, sort of the upside for Judy. If he can be as target dominant as he can be or Sutton who, you know, very, very odd game for Sutton, but you'd like to think that he still has that downfield volume potential that he's shown with several uh, very high air yards games so far to start this year. Yeah, I mean, he was one of the main guys talking about in terms of, you know, with Judy coming back, that his air yards were so off the chart that even if he lost a decent chunk to Judy, he would still be a very playable kind of guy. I'm not worried about Judy for the reasons that you mentioned. I, I guess I am worried about Sutton. I think that when I mean, you mentioned that Patrick is not going to be a dominant type of guy with his targets per route and that type of thing, but with the usage that he's getting, I don't think that he has to be a dominant uh, player to, to be a real issue for Sutton just because I think that those two guys almost you know, overlap entirely in terms of where the actual target volume is going to come from because Judy is going to take it away and is going to be the main player there. And so until it happens, there's always this sense that, okay, well, a team like the Broncos led by Teddy Bridgewater, where they are trying to get both Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams touches, both of these guys look like well above average backs right now. And so even if running the ball is not very effective from a real world perspective, teams do like to get their good players touches. So it's, it's kind of hard to see too many games where the Broncos are going to throw 35, 40 times. With Patrick in there, if they don't start to throw at that level, at least occasionally, then I mean, I think the Sutton 
becomes unplayable in a hurry, which is not necessarily what I was expecting a couple of weeks ago. You know, this game, we saw a little bit of Albert O might have seen more if they hadn't been so dominant. It was, you know, unfortunate not to get you know some of that late production potential from some of these guys. But, you know, you mentioned Fant coming back too. And that's one of these things that we've seen is that it can be split so many ways. The concern, I think, for Judy is that it could be split away from him as well. You know, he looked good enough today in a game where they didn't need him, that if they do need him, you know, I think we could still see some really, really big games from him. Then a team that did have to throw and has had to throw a lot this season and has thrown in a surprising fashion is those Baltimore Ravens. I was kind of hoping, obviously growing up in Kansas City, being a Chiefs fan, you know, knowing that the Chiefs were given this break today with Aaron Rodgers not playing, that maybe we could get a Ravens loss as well to go with the losses from the Bills and the Bengals and the Las Vegas Raiders. That didn't happen. Uh, the Vikings on the other side, I think, were a little bit interesting. They came out really emphasizing their two stars, right? Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, both of them get a run and a catch on that first drive. You know, it's important for Cook because his receiving numbers, if they're there, then he becomes the potential RB1. Jefferson is just interesting that they haven't targeted him as much as they need to recently. So the fact that they would just hand the ball to him, you know, right away to start the game is kind of a, a little bit of a sign that they wanted to involve him a little bit more after he's been one of the most disappointing players in the last several weeks. Then he gets the 50-yard touchdown. They're off to the races. They get the big lead early, and then it all comes crashing down. They can't get the ball to Jefferson anymore. They did some kind of cool things. They run a, a fake punt. Cook, Cook, from the point they went up, uh, I believe it was from 24-10 until they were losing, you're in this positive script situation for, for a, a good chunk of the of the early part of the second half. Cook, I believe, netted in that span negative 10 rushing yards. Yeah, they were able to, to really stick him outside of that big, big run. And, you know, we, we talk again all the time about Cook and – his ability or, or his talent level putting him in this group where he can generate these kinds of runs. But, you know, it's never a great sign when the Vikings talk all week about how, you know, we're going to establish Cook come hell or high water. It's like, I mean, you need to do what makes sense for your team when you also have Justin Jefferson there. I like the fake punt. They tried to turn the momentum. Unfortunately, they were stopped very quickly after that. In the third quarter, the Ravens come roaring back. Then, I mean, you don't want to be too negative about a guy, but the Vikings did a lot of really good things on defense in this game too. One of the things that you have to deal with when you're playing the Ravens is that they're going to get a lot of plays. They're going to attack deep a lot. You know, you're going to have a hard time with Lamar Jackson's running. I mean, in so many ways, the Ravens are doing, you know, like the best way to play football, which is just to have your quarterback be the running back, your receivers go out, you know, you have the extra blocker, all of that kind of thing. In so many ways, it's like the wildcat, but with a guy who can throw 60 yard darts, the Ravens are a difficult team to handle. It's still unfortunate the Vikings don't come through in this one because they've been so close all year. Kirk Cousins, to me, looks like a backup quarterback, an elite backup quarterback, but a backup quarterback. I, the Vikings otherwise are playing so well that they look like a Super Bowl contender if they had a top 10 QB. Now, obviously, only one third of the teams in the NFL can have that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I because I, a big part of... The story for Jefferson so far this year has been that Cousins has not been good enough. Um, he's missed. I, I still go back to the a play several weeks ago where he missed him on a, 
I think it was a play action, but it was a deep sort of crossing uh, pattern. Would have been a 50 yard touchdown, if I'm not mistaken. And he just like chucked it over his head. He had so much room to throw out in front of where Jefferson was running across the field. And one of the things you see when the receiver is running sort of across, but also upfield kind of diagonally, you have all sorts of room more across the field where they can cut off the depth they're getting with their route and just keep running flat as long as they're not being let out of bounds. Um, that's a that's a much easier play than if you get the pass vertically and they have to try to turn upfield. Anyway, this was several weeks ago, but that was exactly what Cousins did. He missed up over Jefferson's head where there's usually a trailing defender. That's when you get the interception. I mean, it's a, a place you can't miss. And the reason I'm emphasizing it is I – Remember uh, a, a very, very similar play happening to Stephon Diggs when he was there playing with Cousins and um, highlighting that in signals a, a few years back and finding video of it and putting it in. It's just like you have to understand that like when you have a guy who's open, you don't need to be perfect. You need to throw into space and let the player run to it. And when they have all sorts of separation and they've created this play, it doesn't have to be a touchdown on that play, but you got to throw somewhere where he can – even if he has to cut off his route and come back to the ball, he can catch the ball and you get the 40 yard gain instead of the 50 yard TD. Um, even if that allows, you know, the defender to circle around on top of him and he has to try to break a tackle to get in the end zone or, or what have you. It's just, it's such a, I don't know, a, a lack of awareness. Cousins statistically has always looked good. I would argue that it's because he's always had really good players. I mean, Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen together is really good with Dalvin Cook at running back and then Diggs leaves and then you have Jefferson who's clearly a, a very high level wide receiver when you have players like that you're going to get opportunities to make these poor throws more than you should and then get another opportunity again the next week and he missed him last week uh, up the sideline Jefferson had to lay out for a ball that he ended up not getting to this week he does hit him for the 50 yard TD uh, but no I'm with you I'm I'm I joked on Twitter last week, dude, has anybody figured out if Kirk Cousins is good yet? Because a lot of people who look at the stats and look at the numbers will claim that Cousins is actually good. Everything I just said, uh, as well as the fact that he has these random games where he's very, very poor, he seems to play his best after the poor games. And it's like he, it's like a focus issue or something in the week. Once he plays really poorly, he'll come back and play well. Uh, but it's not, I mean, that's not something that you're going to be able to, the, the lack of consistency is not something you're going to be able to ride to a Super Bowl or anything like that. So I'm kind of with you. I, I, I'm on the side of this Kirk Cousins enigma question that he's not actually very good and, and gets more opportunities than many other quarterbacks because of the talent that has been around him basically since he left Washington. But yeah, it was a, it was a disappointing game. I think for them, they, they get out to a big lead. Cook has a really good long run early. I just looked at the game long. It was actually only negative eight yards and he really only got the one carry. And it's not like I'm saying they need to just feed him a ton of carries, but um, I had played him in DFS. So I was coming at that from the perspective <laughs> that I was waiting for this hundred yard bonus. Ben, did they lose 25 yards on, on 30 carries there? Or was it just one on eight? Uh, it was one eight on one. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just kidding you. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. The, the weird thing about this game too, was that it's very difficult to not watch the game through the lens of your own teams and your own ideas about who's good and who needs to have more targets. But the Ravens also took Adam Thielen out of this game. Right. I mean, Adam Thielen is the James Conner or the James Conner before today with Chase Edmonds out. I mean, Adam Thielen is the James Conner of wide receivers. He's going to score, right? I mean, they, they get him a one yard score instead of having someone else get that point but you know he's also not targeted one of the things that was kind of weird in this one and you know you, you think about who the the stars are and when do they come out and when do you know that you need to use your guys 
the Ravens played some kind of bizarrely soft defense on Justin Jefferson on this fourth and nine play late in the game that set up that Adam Thielen touchdown and allowed the Vikings to come back from 31-24 to tie that game when they had a chance to uh, end it in, in regulation just by getting one more stop. So Jefferson gets that play. You know, you say, yeah, you, you went to the key guy in that moment. But the strange thing today with Jefferson after the 50-yard catch and the thing that seemed to be the case with Diggs all day long, in both of these situations, there were not a lot of plays where it looked like they're the first read. And that always just really jumps out. I mean, you think about some of the stuff with the Bengals guys today, and you're like, well, I mean, that was disappointing, but there were a lot of things that were close. Jamar Chase was close on these. T. Higgins, again, has that, you know, very high workload early. He could have caught some touchdowns. With Dixon Jefferson, you're like, the team doesn't even seem to be looking to them. And so when you're not getting these guys on the first read and they don't seem to be part of, of really what's transpiring throughout the game, you either have, number one, the play calling is weird because the emphasis is not on plays going to your guys. Or number two, the defenses have figured out what coverage look they need to give so that the read becomes other people pre-snap. You know, if the defense can take away your star simply by giving a specific pre-snap look, I think that's also a little bit of an issue for these guys because Jefferson and Diggs, they have to be the volume guys on their teams. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the the Jefferson thing was just wild. I mean, he looked so good early in that game. Even on the handoff, like you said, he gains 11 yards right away, looks explosive, has the long touchdown right away. It is – and there were several plays. He's another guy I played in DFS today. There's several plays where he is open and, and Cousins is not identifying it. And it is, you know, it is frustrating. They're not like – it's it's that idea that we talked about last week of like calling – you know, thinking players, not plays when the, when the teams are calling plays and things like that. I mean, that's sort of, I was thinking of that when we were talking about digs as well, but um, these teams are not thinking players enough. They're thinking plays or they're thinking, or, or they're not thinking of the right players. I mean, I don't understand why, like you said, first read and stuff like that is, is sort of what I'm, I'm, I'm commenting on is that these teams need to be more aware of, um, you know, particularly like with Jefferson today, who just goes invisible and he's, it's not cause he's not getting open. I mean, he re- legitimately was very open, but cousins is not looking his way. And it's like, what are you doing? How are you not thinking we need to get the ball to Jefferson if he can get open? You know, <laughs> we, we need to be thinking first and foremost, that that's where we want to go with the ball. But yeah, we see that a lot. Um, today was a, a good example of, you know, the NFL being sort of unpredictable. We had all these upsets, like you said. I mean, we didn't even really talk about Atlanta upsetting New Orleans, which, yes, you know, New Orleans doesn't have Winston anymore, but still didn't expect Atlanta to go into New Orleans and win that game. Uh, we get the Giants beating the Raiders at home. Raiders obviously have had, uh, you know, a really tough week. And so there's just a lot of uh, a lot of stuff there. You don't really know how, how things are going there obviously internally but this is i think was just a week that was a a a good reminder that basically in any game a lot of different things can happen on the team level and then on the team level how that can impact the players and so you know we we do sit here we talk about the players that we like or the players that we have a lot but i also think it's important to recognize um and part of that's because we get asked about them a lot but it's also important to recognize like which players are doing the things that will allow them to be very good down the stretch. I mean, you want to know why, like, for instance, Sean is able to get so many players correct before they break out. It's because he watches these things. He sees this player, if, if, they, if they start to recognize that they need to throw him the ball more, make him the first read more, 
he's going to absolutely explode because he's constantly open. He's constantly doing all these things correctly. And that's, that's what we're watching for. That's what we're looking for. And so that's what hopefully we can add a little color with. Yeah. So a crazy day today. Congratulations to the giants who don't seem like that talented of a team, but have been, you know, one of these teams that has been close and has not gotten the victories and their coaching staff has gotten a lot of criticism. Uh, exciting to see them do well from that kind of human perspective. Cool to have them come through today. Uh, just huge performance from the Jaguars, from the Broncos. You, know, you mentioned just now the the Atlanta Falcons, the Cleveland Browns. It just congrats to all of these teams pulling the upset. I mean, it's it's not just fantasy that, that's fun out there. This is a, a great weekend from an underdog reality perspective. And one, one final note, though, uh, Sam Darnold still sucks. Uh, well. We, we, we didn't talk much about Sam Darnold, and I haven't watched that game yet, but as the okay. bottom line is scrolling throughout the day, I'm thinking to myself, Sam Darnold versus Bill Belichick does, doesn't seem like a great matchup, right? I mean, it can get lost, and I don't think that it does too much probably, but, you know, Bill gets a, a little tarnishing with, you know, what Tom Brady does last year, what they're doing this season, and especially, I mean... It, it, if they don't lose this kind of field goal battle at the end of their game with the Buccaneers, I mean, people would now be looking at the Patriots, I think it's the AFC favorites. Maybe they are the AFC favorites. I mean, the, the Ravens do come through today, right? And Lamar Jackson, it was another Lamar Jackson day where he made plays that were inexplicably bad and then plays only he can make. He rallies his team you know, to the victory. But, you know, with the, the Chiefs where they are, with the Bengals, you know, really just crumbling, right? I mean, they... they have not lost to the Jets and gotten annihilated. Um, you know, I don't think that most of us probably are rooting for <laughs> Bill Belichick. We're not rooting for the Patriots. We It'd be great to actually see them go through a stretch of being inconsequential. But at the same time, just respect for the greatness involved there. People do not think what you're saying to be true. I mean, I've heard a lot of people that are like, just face it. It was all Brady. The players make the plays. Uh, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that's what everyone says, but I've had to push back on, on, on this point a lot. It feels like over the last couple of years, I mean, even early last, like they had a really tough year last year. They had the most opt outs by a mile. Uh, their whole defense, like basically opted out um, for, for COVID. And that was tough. And then Cam Newton got it in season. And that was a whole prolonged thing. But like, Early in the year, they had a they almost beat the Bills in Buffalo, but Newton had fumbled late, and um, right after that, they lose to or before that, they lose to the Seahawks in Seattle, where Newton gets stuffed at the goal line. They could have had a little bit of a different twenty twenty. It goes really poorly, but I agree with you, man. You look at their twenty twenty one so far. They lose to the Dolphins by one in Week One. You talk about that Bucks game. They lose by two, and they lose to the Cowboys uh, in overtime. And other than they were going to win. Yeah, it really did. And other than that, they've, I mean, they, they lost to the Saints by, by 15. They got beat in that game pretty good. I don't actually remember the particulars of that game that well. But other than that, they, they've taken care of business, mostly beat, you know, bad teams. They beat the Jets twice. They beat the Texans. But they did take care of the Chargers last week in a, in a game that most people were saying the Chargers looked really bad. Well, it's because of the Patriots. Yeah, the Patriots go into LA and win that game. They go into Carolina today. They take care of business there as well. So I actually do think this team. Is kind of a dark horse to to make the playoffs and be somewhat interesting. Yeah, I mean, I I do not want to be in a situation where I am saying positive things or or you know advocating for Bill Belichick. But people talk all the time about the cliches. They talk all the time about you know 
it's not just the Patriots who have the sort of underlying mindset of, you know, everybody do your individual job, but that's one of those things, you know, anybody who has had any kind of leadership position at any point, whether it's, you know, coaching or in any other environment, I mean, you know, the challenges that the person running things has in terms of trying to get people just to do their part of it, right? Because you either have people who don't want to do anything or people who want to do other people's parts, but are less interested in their own. It's less glamorous. And it's just, it, it is very, very impressive. And then obviously his coaching acumen from a defensive perspective too. I mean, this was one where, I mean, we've been a little bit worried about DJ Moore. This is one where I wasn't even, I was like, if he doesn't score zero, because you know the Patriots are going to completely take those guys out of the game, and they just have no chance when you have a quarterback like Sam Darnold. So anyway, Patriots doing Patriots kinds of things. We're rooting against them, but also giving them some respect for being very good at what they do. Yeah, I mean, like, look, yeah, you said that well. I, I, I pulled up their – Last year, I, I I feel like I was sort of glorifying it, but I mean, I don't think people realize they went seven or nine last year. Like, I think people think they went four and twelve. Like, they they had a really rough year with a lot of players out and Cam Newton. Ben, what's your expected record when Cam Newton is your quarterback? Right, and and playing how he did, he didn't play great. I mean, he started off the year okay. I mean, I, I really do think the COVID absence and especially like right after it and stuff, he had a tough stretch, and they had a tough stretch. They lost a bunch of games early. They were two and five at one point. They finished the, the year seven or nine. Like they take care of business. They game plan every week. They get people to do their jobs. Like you said, I mean, there are elements of this that are commendable. I, I kind of like seeing them play well. They get the Browns at home next week. That'll be a really fun one because the Browns are playing good football right now too. It will be. It will be. We'll be back on Wednesday with a lot more. We'll have a ton of advanced stats for you. We'll look at how they fit into the overall tapestry of the week and how different players are playing. Look at some different trades you could potentially make as you fight for the playoff position going into the fantasy playoffs trades you can make to resurrect your dynasty team either now or in the future and ben will look at some of these games we didn't go into as much detail today but more than all that we will have fun with the stealing bananas audience so thanks everybody for listening today that's it for today's episode of stealing bananas with me as always is ben gretch whom you can follow at yards per gretch make sure you check out his Substack stealing signals the best newsletter as i always say in the fantasy industry it is so much fun you will have a blast reading. Uh, come check us out. I mentioned some of the articles today. Bjorn's been doing a great job. Corbin, Connor, Michael, all of the guys. Uh, it's always great to read Blair and Dave. So come check that out. Check out the tools. We have the Stealing Signals tool in there, which people have been raving about. You get a 10% discount with the coupon code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Subscribe to our feed. You'll get these shows as soon as they come out and uh, give us that rating and review. Refresh it if you are a super fan and want to help the algorithm. Uh, We appreciate you guys so much. We'll see you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.